Good morning, Fellowship Ava. Welcome back to our weekly gathering where we gather as small groups to lift our voices together and sing to our King, King Jesus. This past weekend, I uh, had a little bit of extra downtime at home with, with the snow and the weather, and it was good just to slow down for a little bit and take some deep breaths and spend time with my family. And uh, just something I enjoy about Sundays as well, a time to just slow down, spend time with our spiritual family and sing songs to our King. This morning, we have an opportunity to remind ourselves of the grace that we've been shown, that the debt that we owe has been paid in the blood of Christ. And so would you stand with us together as we begin our time and let's sing, sing this out to our King. Man of sorrows, Lamb of God, by his own the sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus' lead. Let's sing this out together, every voice, silent as he stood. Silent as he stood Him for the cross this morning. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. And now my soul cries out, Hallelujah, praise and honor unto Sun sets free, always 
to our Father. I don't know if this is the first time for you in a long time that you've spent in prayer. Maybe this is your first time to ever pray. We just simply talk to our Father. And in Philippians chapter 4, we're told to make our request known to Him with thankfulness. And so we're going to spend some time this morning thanking the Lord for His goodness. If you would, would you take a moment this morning, thank Him for sustaining you, for waking you up this morning. Thank him for the things that we often take for granted, like the clothes on your back, the things that he's brought into your life, the necessities. Thank him for those things this morning. take a moment and thank him for the examples of faith that you've seen in your life, people that have come before you. By name, thank him for those people. Just take a moment and just be honest with him about where you're at. Maybe some sin that you feel trapped in. Maybe you feel distant from him. Take a moment and just be honest with him about where you're at this morning. moment and tell your father what you need. Lord, I, I need this from you right now. Tell him that. And lastly, would you just thank him for the blood of Jesus? washes you clean that you don't stand in front of him needing to prove but covered by Christ's blood. Thank him for the cross. Jesus. 
response. How marvelous to sing it together. this morning Lord, thank you for welcoming in sinners Lord that's us you welcome us in you welcome us home you bring us home Father this morning we are so grateful for the cross and we celebrate that together as a family Lord we need you in your name we pray Amen you can grab a seat y'all sound good this morning thanks for letting me sing along with y'all how we doing we're out we're out of the house. It's wonderful. The snow is melting. Uh, my name is Garland. Great to, to see y'all this morning, this Sunday uh, morning. Just a, a couple of things by way of uh, announcements for you and for me. First of all, if you're new, welcome. We're so glad you've chosen to, to worship with us today. If you've got questions about uh, what Christianity looks like, following Jesus looks like, this church looks like, we would love to meet with you at the community booth right through those doors. Uh, I'll be right here after the service. One of our team members would love to chat with you and just get to know you and meet you. Uh, and you can also hit that QR code. If you're more technologically inclined, and so that's the way you could do that as well. Uh, a couple of things that are coming up just for you and for me to know. For for me, uh, one of my favorite things about fellowship is uh, we get to see people figure out exactly and precisely how the Lord has sort of wired them to come alive in ministry. 
We get to see what it looks like to figure out how God's gifted us and how he's wired us to be able to get, get involved in his great commission plan to see his name made famous in this world. I'll never forget, uh, for me, that was figuring out how to, how to lead worship and how to lead a junior high cell group. And some of you were like, that's the last place I'd want to be is with a junior high cell group. But for me, that's where I just came alive and getting to see uh, what it looks like to make Jesus famous here in my city. And uh, if, if you're here this morning, you're going, I don't know where the Lord's wired me. I don't exactly know where I fit in this thing called the Great Commission. I don't exactly know what it looks like to make this big church called Fellowship Small and give my life into service to people. We would love to invite you, if that's you, uh, or if you're going, man, I just want to bring some of my disciples along, some of the people in my community group along, just to sharpen our skills. We have a class coming up. Uh, it's a workshop, a four-week workshop. It's going to be called Discover Leadership, and it's going to be in our classroom starting on February 20th, so in two weeks. And so we'll have a sign-up online. Uh, you can come talk to me or Michael or somebody in the community booth uh, after the service. Discover Leadership will be a four-week workshop. We're just going to process what does it look like uh, to figure out how the Lord's gifted each of us that we might go serve him in this city and in our church. And so in two weeks, we'll be starting that workshop right there in the classroom. Uh, the second thing coming up is something we're really excited about. Uh, I'm going to invite Ben Cashin to come out here, my friend Ben. Give him a hand as he wheels himself out here. Uh, there's a great story that goes along with this. Yeah, give him a hand. He's got his trusty little basket here with a microphone in it, and so uh, he's going to tell y'all about, yeah, that's very handy, uh, he's going to tell y'all about a really cool opportunity that we have coming up called Merge. Is it on? You got anything? Yep, there it goes. So my wife tried to take the basket off of my scooter, and I told her that it was entirely too practical to be removed, so it shall stay. Uh, hey, I'm really excited about Merge. Uh, we're starting on February the 20th, so two weeks at 7 p.m. right over there in the Student Center. Um, and uh, Merge is a premarital experience for couples that are seriously dating or engaged. Um, and it's a ministry um, that has really just grown and, and done some awesome things here at Fellowship. We're excited to be uh, part of it. There are three things that um, couples who engage in the Merge experience will uh, see that I wanna tell you guys about. Number one is the premarital content in Merge is really fantastic. Um, it covers a lot of really important areas that people who are heading towards marriage uh, should be talking about. That's finances, expectations, in-laws, sex, biblical roles in marriage. Um, and so the content is really thorough and covers a lot and is fantastic. The second is there is great truth in the merge class. All of that content comes uh, from the scriptures um, and is uh, packaged really well in a way that we uh, give the attendees. And there's also some really awesome couples who give their time to be leaders uh, in the program that bring a lot of wisdom and truth to it as well. Uh, and then the third is Merge is such a great um, uh, way to experience community. And for a lot of the people that come, maybe community groups for the first time as an adult. Um, and so we gather in small tables, there's lots of discussion. We even spend a little bit of time uh, in homes uh, through our community. And so if you or someone you know is seriously dating or engaged, we'd love for you to join us and merge. You can hit the QR code uh, and we'd love to have you. Two weeks, February two weeks. 20th, yeah, two weeks. So we're filling up, so if you know seriously dating uh, couples or engaged couples, or if that's you, sign up, we'd love to have you. Thanks. Give him a hand as he wheels back out of here. Hey, if you go this way, there's that ramp over there. That might be easier. There's a ramp. Instead of jumping up the stairs, that might be easier for you. Uh, get, yeah, see you, see you, Cashin. Um, as we move now kind of back into a time, our time of getting to just celebrate the Lord, uh, we're going to put ourselves in an ancient context. And so as we read the words of this psalm and kind of pray through this psalm together, uh, the psalmist, his name's David, he's famous in the scriptures, and he's, he's frustrated. He finds himself uh, looking at the circumstances of his life and confused as to why it seems as if uh, it seems as if the bad guys are winning and the good guys are losing. And as he cries out to his God, he's going to find some unbelievable assurance in Psalm 139, reminding himself that God has has a plan, that it's not we're not spiraling out of control on some random space rock, but that God knows him and is involved in his life and. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. I don't know what the circumstances of your life, even the circumstances of my life, 
but maybe we could take some, some comfort from these words as well. So Dave is gonna lead us through some of this psalm together. If you would, would you stand with us and let's, let's read this together. This is from Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way of everlasting. This is my Father's world and to
I'm going to tell you guys, this morning, and if I'm a little shaky, there's a reason. Um, this morning during rehearsal, we lost my sweet grandmother. And what was really neat is um, I had, we knew that she was on her deathbed. And we were in the middle of singing Christ in Christ Alone this morning. And I just thought about this ushering in her into heaven with our songs this morning. I was just thinking about it um, and how ne- that would be neat um, to be singing praises as she was going to meet the Lord. And then lo and behold, like five minutes later, my mom called me and said that um, she had gone to be with Jesus. And so what's so neat about In Christ Alone is we're singing about no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. And my grandmother taught me how to pray and how to journal, um, spend time with God. And at the time as a kid, you're like, oh my goodness, this prayer is going on forever. But every time she prayed with me, I was learning. And I was learning from her about how to walk with God. And so there's no guilt in life. There's no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands our destiny. And so I just pray peace over you guys and um, remember the peace that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought in storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are still, when striving cease, my comforter. My all in all, here in the love of Christ is in. Power of Christ. 
Y'all can have a seat. Well, good morning, fellowship. I'm so glad to be with y'all this morning. So glad to have those of you joining us on the live stream. I appreciate it took some of you a little extra effort to get here today. The road outside my house would make a nice groomed blue at Copper Mountain right now, and yet the Lord allowed me to get here this morning. My name's Michael. I serve on the community team, and I'm excited you're here because I'm excited about what the Lord's showing us in the book of Ruth. I'm excited to continue our series this morning. Clark did a great job last week, not just introducing the book, but introducing us to two of the main characters as he taught us, Ruth chapter one. For those of you who, who weren't here, or maybe just as a, a short review, in Ruth chapter one, we saw Naomi and her husband Elimelech move from Bethlehem in Israel to the neighboring nation of Moab. Moab was a long-standing enemy of Israel, but they went there because they were fleeing a famine. And so they took their two sons, and their two sons married Moabite women. And in the decade that followed, both of the sons and Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. And so she was left there in a foreign land with just her two daughters-in-law. And so when she heard that there was food back in her hometown of Bethlehem, Naomi decided, you know what? It's probably best if I go back home. And so she told her daughters-in-law, you stay here. You go back to your families of origin. There's nothing for you back in Israel. And so one of her daughters-in-law tearfully took her up on that, and, and she returned to her own mom. But her other daughter-in-law, Ruth, she famously said, no, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people, and most significantly, your God will be my God. And so they went back to Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem. And it said at the end of the chapter, the whole town was stirred up about their return. And as the chapter ended, we have this interesting statement from the author. The very end of chapter one, the writer says, so Naomi and Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. The book, which began in famine, now continues in a season of harvest. And you can almost feel this anticipation. Something is about to happen. Something is about to change for these two women. You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the end of every streaming episode. When you're watching a show on a streaming service, it always ends with a what's gonna happen next moment. 
They want to keep you streaming, right? That little bar comes up at the bottom and starts counting across, and you think, oh, what could it hurt to watch one more? (laughs) So this morning, here we are at the barley harvest. What do you say we just start the next episode in the book of Ruth? Once the excitement died down for Ruth and Naomi, they realized, here we are, we have no money, we have no food, and we have no prospects. Well, Ruth looked around and noticed a practice that was common in Israel. It's called gleaning. A worker was allowed to go along behind the harvesters in the field and pick up what they missed. Broken pieces, pieces they dropped, pieces on the edges of the fields. It was scavenging, basically. But Ruth thought, this is what I have to do. We have to have some food. So she tells Naomi, I'm gonna go out and go to work. And Naomi says simply, go, my daughter. So Ruth goes to a a nearby field and she starts walking behind the workers, just picking up the broken pieces, the things that are left behind. And she hasn't been there too, too long when she sees a man approaching across the field. This guy's dressed a little bit nicer than everybody else and it doesn't take her long to realize, oh, this is Boaz the owner of the field. And as Boaz approaches his workers, he says, Yahweh, the God of Israel, be with you. And they reply back to him, Yahweh bless you as well. Ruth's never seen a a boss, a a leader who, who has such kind words for his workers. Boaz notices Ruth, and so he takes the foreman aside and he asks him, hey, who's, who's this lady working behind the workers? And the foreman says, oh, that's, that's Ruth's daughter-in-law, or that's Naomi's daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabite. And the foreman says, man, she's been working hard. She's only taken one break since she got here this morning. And so Boaz does something very unexpected. He goes up to Ruth, and he speaks to her. And he says to Ruth, hey, Stay in my field, work behind my men. I've spoken to them. They're gonna look out for you. They're gonna take care of you. And he even goes so far as to say, hey, if you get thirsty during the workday, feel free to drink from the workers' water. Well, Ruth can hardly believe it. No one's ever treated her like this. And he says to her, hey, I heard about you and how you took care of your mother-in-law and how you were willing to come here and live among complete strangers. And then he says this, be rewarded by Yahweh, the Lord of Israel, under whose wings you've taken refuge. Well, Ruth goes back to work, just blown away by what she's experienced. And then around midday, it's time for them to take their break. And so the workers sit down to their lunch. They have a meal of roasted barley, but not Ruth. I mean, she's a foreigner. She's a Gentile. She's a widow. She's sitting off by herself, and you know it's hard to pack a lunch when you don't have any food at your house. So she's probably chewing on some raw grain, and Boaz notices. And then he does something that was totally, totally unexpected. He invites this Gentile widow to come and eat with him and his men. He gives her roasted grain, and for the first time in weeks, maybe months, Ruth eats till she's full. He gives her so much that she wraps some up to take home to Naomi. Boaz tells his guys, hey, make it easy for her. Leave a little extra. Drop a little bit. Make it easy for her to have enough grain to take home. Well, when Ruth gets home, she tells Naomi everything that's happened. She tells her about Boaz. And Naomi says, Boaz? He's actually one of your late father-in-law's closest relatives. He's part of our family. And so she tells her, keep going back to that field. So as the spring goes by, the barley harvest in Israel begins in early April. Ruth continues to go and continues to work. And and pretty soon the harvest has all been brought in and it's time for threshing. Threshing is when they would separate the grain they wanted to keep from the chaff that they wanted to blow away. And so Naomi calls Ruth in and she says, all right, let me tell you what I want you to do. Take a bath. Get yourself cleaned up, put on some perfume, put on your best outfit. And tonight, 
After they've had their evening meal at the threshing floor where all the workers are, I want you to go into Boaz and he'll tell you what to do next. And Ruth says, I'll do exactly what you say. So that night, she goes to the work site and all the workers have been there threshing the barley and they eat their evening meal together and, and Boaz is there. And, and I just have to imagine that Boaz loved this part of the job. He just seems like the kind of guy who would have loved the, the camaraderie, the time together. He would have loved the joy of seeing the harvest come in. And So after he's had his food and drink, I just picture him making himself a little barley pillow and going to sleep contented under the stars. And so Ruth does exactly what Naomi told her to. She slips over and she uncovers his feet. Now I don't know about you, but if I'm sleeping under the stars and someone pulls the blanket off my feet, as soon as the wind blows and cools my toes, I'm probably gonna wake up. And that's exactly what happens. Boaz wakes up and he realizes there's a woman laying by his feet. And so he whispers into the darkness, who are you? And Ruth replies, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you're a redeemer. In other, in other words, you're a relative of the family I've married into. Take me in and save me from this life of living on the margins. And I have to think there would have been a brief pause as Boaz processed everything he's hearing. And I also have to wonder in that moment, did Ruth think, have I overstepped? I imagine she felt like her heart stopped during that pause. Is he gonna rebuke me? Will he send me away? Will there be a scandal? But listen to what Boaz says. Yahweh bless you, my daughter. He blesses her in the name of the God of Israel. He says, oh, you could have gone after one of these young guys, but instead you chose me. He says, everybody knows, Ruth, you're special. You do things the right way. And so he says, I'm gonna do this the right way. And tomorrow, I'm gonna take care of this. So they both go back to sleep and Ruth wakes up early before anybody else and she's gonna slip away, but Boaz wakes up too. And he gives her so much barley to take home, she can hardly carry it. And he gives her a little wink because he says, can't send you home to your mother-in-law empty-handed. <laughs> when Ruth got home, Naomi was already up. She was anxious to hear what had happened and Ruth told her the whole story. And Naomi said, you just wait. Boaz is gonna take care of this today. It's a compelling story, isn't it? This story is so real. Yeah, there's some cultural things we have to get past. Probably none of us are looking for love at the barley threshing floor. None of us are used to cover me with your wing being an idiom that means take me and marry me. But we get the heart of the story because it's so real. It's a real life situation. All of us can easily imagine a boss who changes the tone and tenor of our workplace by living out his faith. All of us can imagine being invited to join the group for a hot lunch when we are left out and hungry. And all of us can imagine putting our heart out there and telling somebody how we feel when we're not 100% sure they feel the same way about us. Because what we see in the story of Ruth is a story of real people living their everyday lives. We see a story that's God working in the everyday events of life. Part of the reason we wanted to study these two books back to back, Jonah and Ruth, is because they're both stories of God's faithfulness but we see such different aspects of who God is. In Jonah, we see God working on this huge scale. He's hurling storms at ships. He's commanding great fish. He's got a whole city turning to him in repentance. But then we turn to Ruth, and we see God moving in individual lives and in everyday events. But he's there. He's working. By the way, have you looked closely at this Ruth logo that our incredible creative media team made for us. Have you noticed that it's made of fingerprints? Whose fingerprints are those? They're God's. 
because his fingerprints are all over this little story. And what we're gonna see as we look at these middle two chapters, the story I've just shared with you in Ruth two and three, is that when we look for God to be at work in our daily lives, we'll see him there. See, in this story, there's no big miracle. There's no supernatural event. Instead, we see God's providence, his grace, as he works out his bigger plan in the lives of these ordinary people. And so this morning, I thought we might just take a moment and look at each of the three main characters in Ruth 2 and 3. We're gonna look at Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. Now, remember what Clark showed us last week. When Naomi returned to Bethlehem from Moab, she actually told her friends, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. She said, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. She said, God's actually brought calamity upon me. Naomi's empty and broken. And we see it in chapter two when Ruth says, well, Naomi, I guess I'm gonna go to work. All Naomi can say is, go, my daughter. This woman, who basically monologued her way through chapter one, that whole chapter is basically Naomi talking. She can only bring herself to say three words. And you know what? In the Hebrew, it's only two. She can barely lift her head to get out two words. It's all she has in her. But then over the course of chapter two, things start to happen. Ruth gets connected to Boaz. She starts bringing Naomi home some leftovers. Pretty soon she's brought home enough grain that Naomi has barley to prepare bread and they have food. And we start to see the old Naomi come back. Oh, Naomi starts talking again. Look, this is the beginning of chapter three. That's all Naomi. This woman who could barely utter two words now not only is she talking, but she's scheming. She's got a whole plan for Ruth because suddenly she has a vision for a different future. See, Naomi was down. She wasn't out. She was crushed by the circumstances of life, but she never lost her faith. All she needed was someone else in her life to come along and remind her of God's promises to show her that she had hope, that she had a future. And for that person, that person for Naomi was Ruth. So we see Naomi move from bitter to hopeful as she trusts in the Lord and she sees God at work in her life. Now as we think about Ruth, let's remember, she's not a native. The writer has gone to great lengths over and over, he said, Ruth, the Moabitess, who was from Moab. Remember, she was from Moab. He keeps bringing it up. Going back to Bethlehem was not going home for her. And she wasn't just leaving behind her family and her culture. She was leaving behind the gods that she had been raised to worship. Remember, she said to Naomi, your God will be my God. She was throwing her lot in completely with Yahweh, the God of the Bible, and so Ruth has faith in God. She believes in the providence and power of Yahweh. And it's a faith that she acts upon. She doesn't just sit home with Naomi and hope that somebody's gonna come along and fix her difficult situation. No, she goes to work. And it's a hard job. But it's the only job she can get. And we see in this practice of of gleaning and working behind the harvesters, God's heart for people on the margins, the widow, the orphan. The Bible calls people like Ruth a sojourner. A sojourner is someone who's left the land of their birth, the place of their home. They're a foreigner who's living somewhere else and needs a way to sustain themselves. Today we might call that person a migrant worker. And God has built into his law for Israel the idea of leaving part of the harvest for the sojourner, for the person like Ruth. From the time of Moses, God had told Israel, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge, nor shall you gather the gatherings of your, uh, the, gather 
the gatherings after your harvest. In other words, don't strip it bare. Don't pick every little piece. You'll leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. Why? Because I'm the Lord your God. That's from Leviticus 23, 22. If you're a note taker, that would be a good cross reference to write in your Bible next to the beginning of Ruth chapter two. Ruth recognizes God has made a provision for people in my situation. But she also recognizes now it's up to her to act on it. She has to take action. She has to get up and get after it. And she works so hard that the workers in the field notice it. They say to Boaz, man, she's been working this whole time. I kind of wonder if the workers are saying to each other, man, this Moabite woman's making us look bad. And when Boaz asks her, they tell him, She's been working all day with only one short break. See, Ruth took the initiative and she worked hard, but we also see in the passage, she's humble, she's obedient. When Naomi tells her what to do to make her intentions known to Boaz, she doesn't say to Naomi, hey, what do you know? I'm the one that's been going to the field every day. No, she says, whatever you say, I'll do. And isn't that the person that we all wanna work with? Somebody who's a self-starter, somebody who has a great work ethic, and somebody that is willing to take instruction. And then when the moment of truth comes and Boaz asks her, in effect, why are you here? She's ready. She says, spread your wings over your servant, for you're a redeemer. Now, this is a little bit tricky to translate. The Bible you have open in front of you might say, spread the corner of your garment or spread your garment over me. And that's a good translation too. In the Hebrew, it could mean either spread your garment, spread your wing. But what makes it even more difficult is it's an idiom. It's a saying. We still use those. We still use idioms, things that mean one thing, but we all understand they mean something else. We actually have those even in relation to marriage. If you hear someone say, he took her hand in marriage. You don't say, just her hand? Doesn't he want the whole girl? No, we all know what that means. And so whether you want to translate it, cover with your wing or cover with your garment, the meaning's the same. It means take me as your wife. And here's what I love about what Ruth's saying in this moment. Look at Ruth chapter two, verse 12. This is Boaz speaking to Ruth. He says, the Lord repay you for what you've done. And a full reward be given to you by the Lord, all caps, by Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. It's the same language. And here's the image they're both invoking. A mother hen who puts her wing over her chicks, covers them to take care of them. Jesus himself used this language. He said, how I've longed to gather your children together, Jerusalem, as a hen gathers her brood under her wing, but you weren't willing. And so by using this idiom to ask Boaz to propose marriage to her, Ruth is saying to Boaz, you're right, I am seeking shelter under the wing of Yahweh. Through you, Boaz, you're the way that Yahweh is going to shelter me. He's going to use you to bring me off the margins. So what we see in Ruth is a faith that leads to action, to work hard, and to boldly pursue the right things. Because for her, the right thing was the redeemer, Boaz, who could rescue her. And that brings us to our third character, arguably the main character of this section of the book, and that's Boaz. He bursts onto the stage of the book in verse four. It says, and behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Behold, it always means look. It usually indicates surprise, or this is important. Look, look who's coming. It's Boaz. His name means in him there is might. And he's coming from Bethlehem, which means, as Clark told us, house of bread. And right away, we see he's a godly man. He doesn't greet his workers with, why are y'all standing around? Is this all you've gotten done today? No, he greets them with Yahweh 
be with you. And then the fact that the workers reply back, right back to him, Yahweh bless you. It tells us he's created this atmosphere, this workplace culture where faith drives the way people treat each other. And we see that throughout the account. Look how gracious he is to Ruth. He tells her to stay in the field where she'll be safe. And he even offers her water. It's easy for us to read right past that, but in this culture, that was very significant. For starters, an Israelite never drew water for a Gentile. They would expect the Gentile to draw water for them. Likewise, a man didn't draw water for a woman. He would expect a woman to draw water for him. Boaz has flipped this whole thing as he offers water that's meant for Israelite Jewish workers to a Gentile widow. And then he does the unheard of. <laughs> he invites her to eat lunch with them. He's going way, way beyond what he was required to do to care for a widow or a sojourner. And of course, we saw that blessing just a moment ago when he says, the Lord repay you for what you've done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, by Yahweh, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. In that statement, Boaz is recognizing what it cost Ruth to even be there, what she had to give up. She's left her home and family. She's come to live with total strangers and all this as a widow. But most importantly, he says, you've taken refuge in Yahweh, the God of Israel. What we see in Boaz is a man who's acutely aware that God's with him in his day-to-day -day life. He's not the kind of guy who goes and worships on the Sabbath, but then during the week mistreats his workers and hoards his grain and makes it all about him. No, he's a guy who lives life with his palms open. And as I read it, it seems like he's giving and sharing with just genuine joy. In fact, Boaz goes beyond the requirement of the law when it comes to gleaning. All the law says is, don't strip it bare and don't harvest the edges. But he tells his workers, leave a little extra. I wanna make sure Ruth and her mother-in-law are taken care of. He treats her with kindness and respect. This during a time when Gentiles and women were largely excluded from civil and religious life. And he blesses her not just with provision for her, he makes sure that Naomi has enough as well. In short, Boaz is a picture of lived out grace. You know, one writer pointed out, he's a living picture of the Jewish social ethic. Think about Micah 6.8. Boaz really does do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with the Lord. And if we skip ahead to the big moment where Ruth makes her intentions known, we see his heart once again. Rather than seeing this as some sort of tawdry or inappropriate sexual encounter, it's actually a moment of praise and worship because he calls upon Yahweh to bless this Moabite widow. He says, may you be blessed by Yahweh, by the Lord. And then he says, I'll do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know you're a worthy woman. Now, I've skipped over something really important. Boaz is a redeemer. It's mentioned four times in two chapters. But guess what? This is your cliffhanger. You have to come back next week because we're gonna spend all of next week talking about what it means and why it matters that Boaz is a redeemer. But for today, I wanna say this about Boaz. When we look at Boaz, we see a man who's following not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law to do justice, to love kindness. He's a living picture of grace. When we look at Boaz, we see a man of integrity who lives out his faith and is a channel of the Lord's blessing to others. And all this during the time of Judges. Clark brought this out last week. This is a time of spiritual darkness in Israel. Garland said it was like Israel's dark ages. And with all this sin around them in the nation, Boaz's kindness and grace, it just shines that much brighter. And so when we think about these 
three characters and we think about the story that unfolds in Ruth 2 and 3, it challenges us to consider our own lives, to consider our own story, our own spiritual journeys. And so my question for you this morning would be, where do you see yourself in this story? Let's start with Naomi. In Naomi, we see someone who's trusting the Lord as she moves from bitterness to faith. Oh, she's been crushed by life and loss. But even in the time when she could barely muster two words, there was a spark of faith. Maybe you find yourself in that place right now where you feel crushed by the circumstances of life. You feel like you can barely lift your head. And yet there's an ember of faith that glows inside you. What you need is hope. What you need is someone like Ruth who can come alongside you and, and fan that little ember of faith back into a flame. Or maybe you know a Naomi. Maybe there's someone in your sphere of influence, someone in your life that's coming to mind right now, possibly prompted by the Holy Spirit. Maybe you should check on that person. Maybe you should try to encourage them with the truths of Scripture and the hope of a better future. Or maybe you see some of your story in Ruth, someone whose faith prompted her to take action to pursue the right things. You know, for Ruth, it began with that declaration, your God will be my God. She put all her chips in on the God of Israel. And if you've never done that, that would be what I would urge you to do today, would be to say, I wanna follow the creator God who sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for me. It's as simple as just accepting the free gift of grace he's offering. Maybe you've already done that, and maybe, like Ruth, you recognize that you need to respond in faith. Is God calling you to take a risk? Is God calling you to do something that might be a little bit scary? Maybe it's something that you would fail if he's not in it. Maybe the Holy Spirit right now is prompting you to see yourself in Ruth, that your faith needs to lead you to action, that you need to start pursuing the right things. And then there's Boaz. Is God giving you the opportunity to be a person of integrity that blesses others? Think about your life. Where has God put you in a position to be a blessing to other people? When, you, when someone was to look at your work life, your family life, your ministry life, would they see a picture of God's grace? Are you generous with your time and attention, generous with your words, generous with your resources? Could you be a blessing like Boaz? Because that's what the book of Ruth is about. Not big miracles, not big supernatural events, just the hidden hand of God moving in individual people's lives as they're seeking him. We see sadness and brokenness, but we also see fullness and harvest. We see loneliness meet community. And we see hopelessness find a brighter future. And it all comes from God quietly working in the day-to-day -day lives of people. Because if we live prayerfully and expectantly and we look for God to be at work in our daily lives, We'll see him there. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the opportunity to open your word. And as we consider your hidden hand moving in the lives of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz, we're reminded of the words of the psalmist. Who is man that you should take notice of us? The creator God of the universe, sustaining all things and yet intimately concerned with the details of the life of each of your children. And so, Lord, I do pray for us. Help us see you at work. And then give us the courage and the spiritual strength, Lord, to join you there so we can see your plan worked out in our lives and in the lives of people around us. And I'm gonna ask for that in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you can all come back next week and hear about the importance of the Redeemer as we continue this study. Hey, the prayer room's open. If you'd like to pray with someone, Fellowship, we love you. We'll see you next time.